Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time we have with you, God. Lord, we've come to seek you. We come to be with you. Lord, we come to find out more about you and to hear your voice, Lord, to study your word. And we ask, God, that by your Holy Spirit that you would give us understanding, Lord, and, and that we would hear, God, what you have to say to us and that you would move upon our hearts and convict us, move us, inspire us, Lord. Lead us, God, into your will and what you have, God, to say to us this morning. And help us today, God, to live it, to accept it, God, and to put it into our hearts so that we would apply it into our everyday lives. So I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would anoint this time and move upon us right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, on June 4th, 1940, Prime Minister Winston Churchill spoke these words to inspire the kingdom of Great Britain as they faced the coming invasion of the Nazi forces in World War II. He said strongly these words. Now listen, he said, We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight on the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Well, as this famous speech goes on in history to really stir up hearts in, in any nation for God and country, one comedian in modern days, R. Orban, looks at it differently. He quotes these words and then comments like this. It sounds exactly like our family vacation. <laughs> we shall fight, yeah? I like that. <laughs> well, as we return to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to inspire every believer to keep fighting to save souls. It's all for God and his kingdom. And that's the title of our message this morning, for God and his kingdom. We are going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 6 from verses 1 through 10 this morning. We, we closed the chapter last week, finished up chapter 5. Now we're crossing over to chapter 6, and we're going to look at the first 10 verses here. Now, how do believers keep going? Well, this is our outline this morning. By number one, embracing the opportunity. Number two, enduring the opposition. And number three, experiencing the opposite. So that's our outline. Well, let's begin here. For God and his kingdom, our title, number one in our outline is embracing the opportunity. Embracing the opportunity. Let's Go ahead and look at here, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. It reads, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now we're going to stop right here for a moment. We begin here now with the Apostle Paul writing these two words, We then, which really connects us to what he ended with in the last chapter. Now, last time we saw every believer's called to be an ambassador for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ was the title of our message last week. We are all to be serving right in this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 18 of chapter 5. 
That is reaching out to the lost with the way to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And if you miss the message, you can grab the CD and catch up here. So Paul talked about we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, he continues here in chapter 6 to strongly call all believers to stay committed to being those ambassadors, even if doing that very ministry brings hardship and suffering. For we serve a noble cause, don't we? As ambassadors for Christ, the gospel itself is a noble cause for us to be ambassadors about because it's for God and his kingdom. So then, as ambassadors of Christ, he says, now then, believers, all believers are working together with him. That's what he says here in verse 1 of chapter 6. As workers together with him, we have come alongside God in his work to reach the lost with his salvation. So Paul right away says, you know what? He holds the honor and privilege of being able to work with this mission that God has given, with this mission of God to be work, working together with the Lord. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, in the first part of the verse, Paul wrote, for we are God's fellow workers. This is the same idea, which is, something you and I must remember, right? We've been given this great honor to work and serve with our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, what better thing can we do but to be working with God in this mission as ambassadors for Christ? Okay, then as believers, he goes on here, as believers are to be working with God, Paul now pleads, he says here in verse 1, he pleads for believers to not receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't waste the grace that reached out and saved you, and then you live for yourself. No, work together with God to bring others to salvation. This saved life we have now, the new life we have, we are to do his bidding. We are to work his mission, work with him. Now, note here something. Some feel Paul is talking to unbelievers here, and surely he could be. Some commentators say, well, there's some unbelievers in the Corinthian church, and certainly he could, we could apply this to Corinthians who are not saved. But think about this. In context, Paul has been addressing believers, and they're called to be ambassadors for Christ, what we saw in chapter 5. And now as he crosses over into chapter 6, he's calling believers to come alongside God's outreach to work with them and share the gospel. So with that in mind, Paul's the idea here, what Paul is saying is believers are not to waste the grace, but take this opportunity with the new life and serve the Lord with it. Someone said, show me a person who doesn't serve the Lord and I'll show you a person who hasn't grasped the totality of God's grace. I like that. If we're touched with God's grace, if we understand the grace that he's given us, you know what? We're, we're going to do everything we can to serve the Lord in this grace that he has given us. Remember back in uh, 1 Corinthians, which we studied before this book, in chapter 15, verse 10, Paul said this, 
By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly. Paul's saying, the more I realize how much grace God has really given me, the more I work to make grace count. That's the idea here, you guys. Then he goes on and he quotes Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8 and verse 2. Look at verse 2 in 2 Corinthians 6. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So as he takes this thought that, that hey, we're not to waste the grace, that this opportunity God has given to serve the Lord with it, he, he's saying this, hey, it's like, uh, what Isaiah said, hey, there'll come a time when people can be saved. But he says, you know what? Now is that accepted time. Accepted here in the Greek means like favorable. Now is the favorable time to share the gospel. Today, now is that day of salvation. You see, since the time Jesus died and rose again, all the way to the point that we go to eternity, that's the time, that's the day of, of salvation. That's the window of opportunity that's open for us to share Jesus and those can be saved. So Paul's saying this, embrace the opportunity today. When I was about 16 years old, I was around 15, 16, uh, I, I, I was saved when I was 14 years old. I remember my cousin came over to the house and, 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 and we were playing as we normally do and, and, you know, talking and everything. And God urged me to witness to him, to share Jesus Christ with him. And he told me that because I'm not going to see him again. And I'm thinking, wait, there's no way. I mean, we, you know, my cousin, our families get together. I see him maybe every month, holidays and all that. Besides that, you know what, I was too scared anyway to say anything, so I didn't. Well, you know what, I never saw him for 20 years after that day. When I did, it was at my grandma's funeral, and I thought, I got to share with him. So I started to share with him, but he had already become a Christian. Paul saying this, and this is our point. If there's going to be a time to work together with God and share Jesus, that time is right now. You see what he's putting forth here? As ambassadors for Christ, if there's going to be a time to work with, together with God and share Jesus, that time is right now. God is stirring us this morning, each and every one of you. God is setting your sights on what he wants you to do as we live this life here on the earth. The time is right now. Now, one pastor said, tomorrow is a road that often leads to a town called never. I like that. It's true, right? Uh, people say tomorrow is, is the devil's word to keep people out of heaven. Well, I think it's also it's to keep believers from witnessing. Is that what you're doing? Putting it off? Are you, are you naturally, I was thinking about this, a procrastinator? Yeah. Oh, I'll do it. Oh, later. Yeah. Bye-bye. Tomorrow. Well, don't put off to tomorrow with what God wants you to do 
today. If there's going to be a time to work together with God and share Jesus, this is the window of opportunity. While you, while you are alive here on this earth, the time is right now. Today is the day of salvation. In 1871, D.L. Moody closed his evening service with a challenge to his listeners to think about who Christ is and then come back next week with a decision. Well, he closed the service. His worship leader came up and started to lead the closing song, but he never finished that song because suddenly alarms went off. It interrupted the music, and that was the beginning of the great Chicago fire, which was devastating. Many died in that fire that night, and you know what? Many people did not return to the church the next week. Well, this impacted Moody so deeply that he vowed and he said this, From that moment on, I have never dared to give an, uh, give an audience a week to think of their salvation, but sought to bring them to a decision on the spot. The time is right now, you guys. If there's going to be a time to work together with God and share Jesus, it's right now. Today is the day of salvation to those around us. Well, let's go on here to number two, enduring the opposition. Enduring the opposition. For God and his kingdom, we've seen number one, embracing the opportunity, and now number two, enduring the opposition. Second Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 3 now, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now, here Paul does his best now to bring no offense. Offense means like stumbling block. He did not want to be blamed. In other words, Paul did not want any of his actions to discredit God or the gospel. So basically, Paul's saying, you know what? Us guys, my team and me, you know, we do our best to be a good witness. And I love that, don't you? We see Paul's heart for God and his kingdom here. He did his best to rightly represent Jesus. And, and, and as he says this, it kind of brings to mind to me, we've seen how the false teachers, as we began this book, right, we learned that the false teachers were attacking Paul, attacking his intent integrity, his credibility, his character. But Paul's saying, you know what? I do my best to be a good witness, not to stumble anybody, not to be blamed for anything. But he's saying this too because not everyone will believe and be saved. Some people will resist. Some people will challenge all your efforts. And so Paul's like, hey, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do all I can not to give any enemies or anybody a reason for any accusation. So then he says in verse 4, But in all things we command, commend ourselves as ministers of God. Now stop right there. Paul says, but in all things, in everything that he does, he says, we commend. The word commend means to introduce, or it could mean to prove or present. So Paul's saying, we, are, we, we do everything we can to prove or introduce ourselves or show ourselves as the ministers of God. Now, the word here, ministers, is literally the word servants. And I love that. 
I tell, I tell my guys, tell the leaders, tell everyone, you know what ministers really is? They're servants. And me as a minister, I am here to serve you. We are servants. Any leader, any pastor is a servant to the people. So we are servants, he's saying, of God. So in all this, Paul's saying, in others, we try to present and prove to you that we are ourselves servants working hard together with God to share Jesus. We are trying to present ourselves as servants working hard for our master, Jesus Christ. I like what John MacArthur said. He wrote, a minister is not commended by a seminary degree, theology, popularity, personality, or success. His life is the only letter of commendation that matters. And I like that thought. It's Paul saying, look, look at us. Look at our life. Look at how we live. Look at how we handle ourselves. That's what shows. That's what presents to you. That's what pr proves that we are servants of the Lord. So before we go on, the question is, what in their life really showed that Paul and his team were servants for God and his kingdom? Well, the answer is this, how they were enduring the opposition, thus the heading of our outline. And how's that? Well, that's what we're going to see in the, next, in the rest of verse 4 and the next verse. Now look at verse 4. He says here, the next three words in verse 4 is, in much Patience. So all things we come in, we introduce, we present ourselves as servants of God. How? In much patience, he says here in the middle of verse 4. Now the word patience here in the Greek is hupomone. That's the original word there. And that actually means endurance. And that's a better translation here rather than patience. You can write endurance there in your Bibles. Endurance, though, is a good word to describe what hupomone is, yet no English word can contain its full meaning. It, it, we can only explain it. Hupomone means like it, to bear heavy labor or be steadfast in the battle or be, be strong even in facing death. Well, this is how Paul is saying he proved himself to really be a servant of God. He endured all the things, the opposition, the hardship, the suffering that he faced. We see this heart when Paul said in Acts 20, 24, and you remember he was, he was on his way to Jerusalem. It had been prophesied that, that he was going to face persecution and it's going to be really hard for him. But he told the Ephesian elders on the shores there in Acts 20, 24, he said, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. I love that. This is Paul. He endured. He, he kept going in the face of opposition. He had that endurance, that enduring the opposition. 
You know what? I wish I could be like that, don't you? I want to be like Paul. I mean, so many times I'm inclined to give up. When things get hard, when things really are, are, are really pressing down, and when, when the suffering and the pain comes, I just, God, I'm out of here. Don't you feel that too? Well, Paul's urging us here today and beginning to unfold and inspire us to keep enduring. Well, now in our passages, Paul continues. He actually lists nine afflictions he endured, which are separated into three groups. So I put a little headings on this, and we're going to have three groups here of these nine afflictions that he endured. Number one is the pressure cooker. Number two is the physical harm. And number three is the personal sacrifices. So we're going to see nine afflictions Paul endured here in the rest of four and verse five. Look at verse four now, the last part. He writes here now, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses. And, and this is number one. I call these the pressure cooker. So Paul, he endured these things in much patience and much endurance. What did he endure? Well, he lists here, first of all, in tribulations. In this first group of afflictions, he puts tribulations, which can refer to circumstantial troubles that are either spiritual, emotional, all, all these things, tribulations or, or troubles. It's, to me, it's being under the suffering from this oppressiveness that comes when we go through these troubles. Then he lists in needs. It's, this speaks of unending adversity. The ESV translates this hardship. And then... He says distresses. The idea is being in, in a tight corner, being squeezed. The NLT renders this calamities of every kind. So this group of afflictions, in a general way, generally speak of those things that press down on you. I call this group the pressure cooker things, right? Because isn't that how a pressure cooker works, right? There's an external heat turns the water inside into hot steam, and then the internal pressure cooks the food there inside the pot. Well, in the same way, these things, these tribulations, the, the, the hardship, the cal calamities, these trials put internal pressure upon us. Then he goes on in verse 5. In stripes, in imprisonments, in torments. And we'll stop right there. Number two here is the physical harm. This is physical things that happen. This second group of affliction starts with stripes, which means like beating with a rod or getting a beating with your fist. Imprisonments, being thrown back then into prison or dungeons. And you know, back then, you were treated very badly. Tomments here in verse 5 means like riots or physic being physically assaulted by the mob or mob violence. So this group of afflictions speak of physical bodily harm done to you. There was that incident, right, when Paul and Silas, Silas in Acts 17 were, were sharing Jesus in the synagogue at Thessalonica. 
many believed, but some of the Jews there, they didn't like what he was sharing. So you know what they did? They incited a mob riot. In verse 5 of Acts 17, it says, They took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a, a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason. So Paul's talking about this physical harm, those kinds of situation here. Well, verse 5 goes on to say the last group of nine, and, and it says here, in labors, in sleepness, in sleeplessness, in fasting. So number one was the pressure cooker. Number two is the physical arm. And here is number three, the personal sacrifices. So Paul says in labors. Well, you know what he's talking about? Working hard, hard work to the point of exhaustion is what Paul did. Sleeplessness, while working through the night, not getting any sleep. Fastings here is, is talking about going without food, maybe because of demands of ministry or traveling. And, you know, back then there's no, like, fast food place. Oh, let's just drop into Burger King or grab something real quick and grab a meal. There was nothing like that. It, it was more difficult to get a meal. But Paul and his travels and his ministry, he just kept going. So if you look at this group of afflictions, they come from voluntary sacrifices for the sake of the ministry. He chose to do this. It was, it was his personal sacrifice that he did. And isn't that great to see that Paul, he endured these things while he personally, voluntarily chose to do this. Founding Father Patrick Henry inspired many to sacrifice for the nation by saying these famous words, right? Give me liberty or give me death. Well, someone added to that. The next generation shouted, give me liberty. And that was it. And then they said, the present generation shouts, give me. And I thought, well, that's a good comment of what's going on here. But here Paul was willing to make personal sacrifices. I wonder, are we willing to do the same? Or have we drifted too far into selfishness? Okay, so how is Paul able to endure the pressure cooker, the physical harm, and even make the personal sacrifices? Well, you know how. How did he do this? Well, the next verses list nine things that help him endure. And it also proved that he is a servant of God and his kingdom. So notice here there were nine things first and three groups. This is just nine things. I didn't group these. They, they're going to be listed all right there in the next two verses. And then later in our next se section, we're going to see another group of nine things. But here we see nine priorities, nine priorities. So first, first we saw the, the nine afflictions that he endured. And now this is nine priorities that helped him endure. Look at verse 6 now. Verse 6 and 7 reads, By purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. So let's take a look at these uh, nine priorities in these two verses. So Paul can endure the troubles, the hardships, and calamities. First, number one, he says, by purity, verse 6. 
Now, this is purity of life, purity of thoughts, purity of motive. The idea is godliness, that he did everything he can to live a godly life, and that helped him endure and prove that he's a servant of God and his kingdom. Second word here is knowledge. It speaks of understanding the truths of God, but not just understanding, but living it by long-suffering. Now, this word is patience, and it refers to how he dealt with people. He dealt with difficult people, difficult things that they do and say with patience. And then kindness, number four here. I like someone said, kindness is goodness in action. I like that a lot. Then I like this in verse 6, by the Holy Spirit. And it's by the Holy Spirit that we have the ability to endure, to keep going. And if you think about Paul, right? He walked in the Spirit. That's what he wrote about in Galatians 5.16. He, he was filled with the Spirit. That's what he talked about in Ephesians 5.18. And he was empowered by the Spirit, which he mentioned in Romans 5.19. Next, he lists number six, sincere or genuine love and the word love here is agape and we've talked about that much it's he held to giving unconditional love number seven here is the word of truth by the word of truth and so the priority in his life was not just to preach the word of god but to hold to the word of god and that's how he endured by keeping that priority Thomas Brooks, this old Puritan, once wrote, The word of the Lord is a light to guide you, a counselor to counsel you, a comforter to comfort you, a staff to support you, a sword to defend you, and a physician to heal you. I love that, the word. Number eight, Paul says, by the power of God. And here he's talking about the miracles and, and, and the incredible, impossible situations where God made possible. It's the mountain-moving experiences. That's what he mentions here. And number nine, the last thing here, is the armor of righteousness. And most commentators believe that he is alluding to the armor of God here. What's written in Ephesians 6. So if you think about it this way, Paul battled for souls fully armored with the armor of God to fight the enemy. And notice he writes he's ready with this armor the right, with the right hand and the left. Now that speaks back then. They would understand what they, it means. It speaks of, of, of one hand, you have the offense we weapon, and in the other hand, the defensive weapon. And we know that from Ephesians 6, that the offensive weapon in the right hand is what? The sword of the Spirit, right? Just the Word of God. And then the uh, defensive weapon is the shield, right? The, which is our faith, you know, in God. Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And this is Paul. This is how he endured by keeping these priorities. So, what's he saying overall here in this section? This is Paul's point. Servants of God prove their loyalty by how they go through afflictions and keep their priorities. Understand this. 
Paul is saying servants of God prove their loyalty that they're living for God and his kingdom by how they go through afflictions and keep their priority. How you live, how you endure, how you stay godly and keep your priorities in the Lord are going to show, present to everyone that you are truly a servant of God even under persecution, suffering, hardship, enemy attacks. Paul saying, servants of God, this is how they prove their loyalty, by how they go through afflictions and keep their priorities. I read about a woman who was super upset at, at, at this car in front of her. You see, it, it suddenly stopped when the traffic signal had turned yellow. She had to slam on her brakes just to keep on hitting it. Well, she began to scream and yell and press down on the hor horn. And while in that mid-rant, she heard a tap on her window. And there was a police officer standing there and asked her to step out of the car. Well, when she did, he arrested her. Crazy. Well, after a few hours sitting at the station, a very embarrassed officer came in, released her, and told her this. I'm so sorry for the mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car, and while you were yelling, while you were cussing, while you were blowing your horn and flipping off the guy in front of you, I noticed the Christian stickers on your car, the Christian fish emblem, the stickers that said, what would Jesus do? The other sticker or the license plate that said, God loves you. So naturally, I assume that you had stolen the car. <laughs> I like that one. Hey, but how do you handle trouble, trials, situations, circumstances? Servants of God, they prove their loyalty. Who, who, who they live for, who their masters by how they go through afflictions and how they keep their priorities. Well, let's move on here to number three now, experiencing the opposites, experiencing the opposites. We've seen here embracing the opportunity, number two, enduring the opposition, and now number three, experiencing the opposites. Now, as I mentioned, as we go on here, Paul gives another list. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. He puts here, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true. Notice there's some opposites here. Understand, as he goes on here, not everyone will receive the gospel. They'll either welcome it or reject it, right? Some will love it, but some will hate it. But either way, for Paul, it doesn't matter. It doesn't stop him. And this is what he has experienced these opposites. So Paul now lists nine pairs of paradoxes, you can say, which are put into these three groups of opposites. So there's another list of nine. And so isn't that great? It's not just some random list, but he really has a purpose in this. So these are nine pairs of paradoxes which are put into three groups of Opposites, And this is what we're going to see. Paul is experiencing the opposites in the responses, number one. Number two, in the results. And number three, in the returns. So first of all, Paul was experiencing the opposites in the responses. In the responses. 
verse 6, verse 8. He, he, first of all, he says he, he finds honor and dishonor. In other words, you're either honored or you're despised. Then he says, e by evil report and good report. The ESV puts this slander and praise. So he finds you know, these responses. You're either slandered or you're praised here. And then he, he says, this, as deceivers and yet true. What he's talking about here, you're treated as like deceivers, an imposter. Yeah, you're trying to do something on someone or you're seen or, and looked at as the real thing. So in these three paradoxes and these responses, depending on what they think of the gospel, they see you either as a hero or a villain. Now, isn't that the same thing that happened to Jesus? In John chapter 7, verse 12, it says, There was much complaining among the people concerning him. That's Jesus. Some said, He is good. Others said, No, on the contrary, he deceived the people. Well, same thing with Paul. This is the responses to him sharing the gospel. Some like it. Some look at him as a hero. Some look at him as a villain. Well, then he goes on in verse 9. As unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live as chasing and yet not killed. Here we see number two in these nine pairs of paradoxes, and that is experiencing the opposites in the results in the results he says here in verse 9 as unknown and yet well well known the unbelieving jews the false teachers they ignored paul they they didn't think it was anything but those who believed and saw the truth in the gospel they looked at him as someone they respected him then he says uh, as dying and behold we live well, the results of, of sharing his faith, Paul was constantly threatened. We've talked about that before, right? Yet, God keeps him alive. And then the, the last paradox here, he says, as chastened and yet not killed. What is he talking about? Beaten but not broken. That's the idea here. In the midst of unfriendly treatment, the result of him sharing the gospel, you Paul finds you're deeply cared for by God. And that's what I really see here in this paradox. Uh, though you're treated and, and uh, unfriendly, and the result is unfriendly treatment, you still find that you're deeply cared for by God. The prophet Elijah was facing hostility from King Ahab. You remember back in 1 Kings. And 1 Kings 17 says the Lord God came and cared for Elijah by sending him and hiding him by the brook. So he had water uh, during this drought. And then ravens brought him food every day. You remember that story? So you see, even though he was persecuted and, and, and sought after and, and, and treated badly, God still cared for Elijah. It goes to show you, that the will of God will never lead us where the grace of God cannot keep us and care for us. All right, verse 10 now. Paul says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, and yet possessing all things. So Paul was experiencing the opposites, the number one, the responses, and the results. And number three here, 
Paul is experiencing the opposites in the return, in the return. Paul says you're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. His heart ached over the lost souls and people who were wandering and backsliding from the Lord, yet Paul still had an overriding joy in his, his Lord, in his future, in Jesus. Paul says he, he was poor, yet making many rich. Poor according to the world standards, but he made many spiritually rich by leading them to salvation in Jesus Christ. And then the, la the last thing here, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Paul's like, I may not have much to the eye here on earth, but in God, Paul did not lack nothing. So the idea here is investing in God's kingdom may not be good on the earthly side, may not be good for earthly profits, but it gives out eternal treasures. James L. Kraft, uh, uh, he's the one who started the Kraft Cheese Company, he once said, the only investment I ever made that has paid consistently, increasingly dividends is the money I have given to the Lord. I love that. One missionary and martyr, Jim Elliott, you know what he said, his famous quote is this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So our last point here this morning of this last section, these last verses here, Paul says, with an unfavoring, oh, I'm sorry, with an unwavering duty to reach people for Jesus, we serve God whether the outcome is good or bad. Understand what he's saying here with, these, with this list. He's saying with an unwavering duty to reach people for Jesus, we serve God whether the outcome is good or bad. That's his duty before the Lord. Just this last week, uh, my wife Kristen, and uh, actually Jared did too, received in the mail the dreaded jury, jury questionnaire. You ever got those? It's like, oh no, right? I got one at the end of last year, and I ended up being called in for jury duty uh, earlier this year. Now, when I went, I tried to have a good attitude, and hey, Lord, if you want it, I'll do it. I'll do it, right? But, you know, I was praying because with my busy schedule, the upcoming men's retreat with studies to prepare, all of that, I was praying, Lord, Lord, let me get out. Let me get out of it. And praise the Lord, I got out, you know. I, I didn't even get called up to sit in the seat. I was like, oh, oh. it's so funny, the people around you, you know, as, as there's less and less people get excused and people get called up and, you know, there's only so many people who are kind of looking at each other and then someone gets called and they're like, oh, no, you know, like that. And I'm like, oh, good, it's not me kind of thing, right? But you know the feeling. But you know what? I came across this article, just this this couple days ago that really convicted me and it talked about christians serving in jury duty it said how believers should respond to jury duty in humbleness respecting the laws and authority placed in the government by the lord right romans 13 and then it said believers should prayer prayerfully consider that the future of another individual's in the hands of the jury that you are a part of. I was like, oh, you know, first of all, this is 
the government God has set up and allowed, and this is the law of the land, and we should respect that. We should honor that. And the other thing, if you get on the jury, it's like, whoa, we're part of this jury that's going to affect the future of this other person. Besides that, the article went on to talk about that believers are a witness by showing, and this is what they wrote, respect and kindness during the entire process. Went on to say during the sometimes boring, tedious wait times. And went on to say even jury duty can have eternal significance. Oh, I was even more convinced. Like, I'm so sorry for my attitude, Lord. People are watching me. I'm, I'm an example of how I handle this whole process that I can influence someone for eternity. That it's this even serving on, jury, on the jury is our duty before God and country. Well, think about it this way now. Do you look at sharing Jesus Christ with someone like jury duty? Oh, no, pastor's talking about it again. Oh, no, I'm being called again. Oh, no, I got that letter again. But what is that? It's like we're being more, more, it's like our life is more about what is convenient to us, what is more comfortable, right? Oh, I want to do this. I don't want to stop and talk to that guy over there. But you know what? You and I are being called to this unwavering duty before the Lord. Whatever the outcome, whatever that is, good or bad, if they reject you or not, if they just walk away, whatever that is. Paul is writing here saying with an unwavering duty to reach people for Jesus, we serve God whether the outcome is good or bad. We must realize the importance and priority God has placed on spreading the gospel of his reconciliation. You know, understanding this, seeing what Paul has written today, studying this, that should change our whole attitude and how we approach being ambassadors for Christ. That should change our heart today, this morning. Yes, it's hard when we experience pain and suffering and trouble because we stepped out to serve Jesus. Yes, it's not fun when the enemy attacks, oppresses us without mercy, being vicious. Yes, it's hard. I mean, there's so many times in my, my, my time of ministry and serving God that I wish I never stepped out and did it at all. But we don't do this, right, for the good time. We don't do this for how it makes it, us feel. No, our duty is to serve him, to live for Jesus, to do his will. Amen? Let me, let me close with, with, with something. I want to reveal the heart of three great saints from the past, three great missionaries. These are some of my heroes that I love to read about. The first heart I want to reveal is William Carey, otherwise known as the father of modern missions. You know what? He went out in 1792 when no one was thinking about foreign missions. He labored for seven years in India before his first convert to Jesus Christ. He didn't give up. William Carey held this heart. I quote him. 
It is the duty of those who are entrusted with the gospel to endeavor to make it known among all nations. He faced much resistance from the Hindus, and sadly, even his own countrymen caused him trouble. But it didn't stop Kerry. Later in life, he wrote this. When I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die in, unless upheld by God. Through the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand, or though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand, a thousand times stronger than they are, and the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse, though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith, fixed on the sure word, would rise above all obstructions and overcome every trial. And then he said, God, God's cause will triumph. I love that. The second heart I want to reveal to you guys is Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to Burma, which is our modern-day Miramar. He was actually the first foreign missionary from America in 1813. He left America now to Burma. He was 24 years old when he went. He was just married only seven days when they went, him and his wife. And there he served for 38 years years. Hear his heart when he said this, I will not leave Burma until the cross is planted here forever. I love that. It was not easy like William Carey. It was like six years before he even saw his first convert to Jesus. He said that he never saw a ship leave Burma without wanting to board it and go home. He even wanted to give up. When his wife became sick in 1821, she had to go home for two years before coming back. And when, 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 when she got sick in this manner, you know what he wrote? He said, if we could find some quiet resting place on earth where we could spend the rest of our days in peace and perform the ordinary services of religion. That's what he was thinking. Let's just go then. Let's just leave this mission. But right after those feelings came, this is what he wrote. Life is short. Happiness consists not in outward circumstances. Millions of Burmese are perishing. I am almost the only person on earth who has attained their language to communicate salvation. You know what he was saying? Adonai Judson knew, Judson knew his duty that God had given him, that this was his assignment, what he had to do. The third heart I want to share with you is David Livingston. He was a Scottish pioneer uh, missionary to Africa in 1845. To the secular world, he's actually pretty famous. He was a famous explorer. He went into places in Africa that no one had gone before. But to Christians, he's this remarkable missionary. He went where no white man had been before, bringing Jesus to the interiors, to the deepest, darkest Africa. He knew no matter what, he had to do his duty in fulfilling the will of God. This is what he once says. This is his heart. He wrote, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. As you can imagine, someone like this, this pioneer, explorer, missionary, you can imagine he faced much danger. He, once a lion attacked him and he, and he lost the full function of, of, of his arm. They say he walked over 29,000 miles, walked now in his ministry. 
his wife died early on, and he even faced opposition from his own Scottish brethren. But despite it all, these words were found in his diary. He wrote this, Send me anywhere, only go with me. Lay any burden on me, only sustain me. Sever me from any tie, but the tie that binds me to your service and to your heart. I love it. Are you inspired this morning? Let us understand these things that Paul has written, that we have studied and see before us this morning. You know why? So we can stand with Paul, that we can stand with these great saints and missionaries, those who have gone before us to be those ambassadors for Christ, to shine that light, that we can say with them, no matter what may happen to no matter what may, that may happen to me, my duty is to serve my Lord for God and his kingdom. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled by these who have gone before us and even the words that have been, been unfolded before us by the Apostle Paul to see his heart, to see his endurance, Lord, to see his passion and fire, God, we are humbled by it because I am nowhere near that. Lord, in many senses, I have given up. In many times, Lord, I wanted to, but God, help us all today not to. Lord, I pray for myself and anyone here who has lost their hope. The fire is gone. Who has given up. There once was, maybe, when we first came to Christ, Maybe there was once this burning fire and passion for the lost around us, yet has died away. Maybe it's been cooled by the things of the world. Maybe it's, it's been cooled by persecution, by the enemy, Satan, and his demons himself had come and wreaked havoc so that we would stop. But Lord, we want to get up this morning. We want to stand up this morning. God, and we can only do it by your strength and by you stirring us up and stir us up, Lord, today to be your light, your witnesses, your tools, to be the servants that you want us to be, that we would live, God, to share your gospel, the word, the message of reconciliation to those who need it so much, that we would do this for you, our king, our master, for you and your kingdom. God, help us today, Lord. We need you. We need the fire, Lord. God, set us on fire right now. Help us today, in Jesus' name. Amen.